You're listening to the DistressedPro.com professional interview series, where we bring you actionable advice from professionals on the front line of today's real estate and mortgage note market. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Distress Pro Professional Podcast Series, where I interview folks who are really in business in the front lines of today's real estate market, including the note investing business and folks who, who work with lenders and buy and trade notes and REO and foreclosures. And today I've got Abby Shemesh. He runs AmeriNote Exchange, and uh, maybe you can, I don't want to say you run it. I would, I'd like to get some more details from you on that, but but here's what I'd love to do is folks, a lot of folks who listen to this, either they're, some of them are in business, a lot of them want to be in business and are starting off in business. And I would love to just talk a little bit about how you got into the note business. Maybe if we could talk about a couple of deals, if we could, and sort of where your business is at today, what kind of notes you're buying and that sort of thing. We'd walk through that and then maybe a couple of case studies on a couple of deals you've done, something like that. If we just you know chat loosely about them with, without too many details, that'd be great. So tell us, how did you get started with AmeriNote Exchange? When did you open? How did that whole thing come to fruition for you? Thank you for having me. And yes, absolutely. So I was in the loan origination space in the big, you know, subprime boom, right? So got into originations in 99 as a, uh, a junior loan officer for a company in Pennsylvania, which was licensed only in Pennsylvania. And through that evolution of career, I guess you could say, kind of branched out into other spaces of residential commercial originations. We did a lot of subprime and conforming and non-conforming, we'll call it nowadays referred to as non-qualified mortgage loans. And, you know, that lasted until about 2004. And you know, just to be perfectly frank, one day sitting in our office, we had our, when Bear Stearns was still around, we had our account rep from Bear Stearns come in and introduced us to our new account manager and said, hey, I'm going over to acquisitions. And uh, that's when my, you know, what's acquisitions? What are you talking about? And they explained in great detail how uh, banks also purchase loans and, you know, sell loans off and so forth and so on, which led me down a path to research the back end of the secondary mortgage market. And that's how I discovered the note buying space. Cool. So did you just jump right off from there? Were you getting product from that or how did that? No. So that, to continue the story, you know, got out of origination, started doing research in the acquisition space. That was uh, late 2004, got out of originations, started researching and building a plan, trying to find, you know, getting the sense of how to source leads. So from 2005 to the end of 2006, really did a lot of my research and there wasn't a whole heck of a lot out there at that time. And, you know, Amerinode Exchange, founded Amerinode Exchange officially in the end of 2006 and, you know, started with the website, got the lead gen going, and we kind of slammed right into the 2008, you know, financial crisis when we were really getting some lift in our industry, in our business. Now, when you first started that, was that your plan, it was an acquisitions company. Did you start with capital or how did that? Uh, how did so that- that's a good question. We started in with the sheer idea of wholesaling loans, brokering, I guess you can say at the time, and taking those proceeds to use as 
a stepping stone to start buying. Now, what we found out very quickly is that there was the players that were in the industry were not as prevalent, uh, not uh, there wasn't as much saturation as there is today. So there was very few, you know, investors that were buying. There were a lot more deals that we were seeing in the seller finance space than we were on the institutional banking side. But we did get our share of both of those types of leads that came across our desk. So we did not have capital per se to start, but we built up capital very quickly in that period of time. Cool. So walk me through that a little bit more. This is back 2006. You've got partners and or 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 don't you? And then like bring us through if you will yeah. today. So we absolutely so there was kind of a I don't want to say one man show. We definitely had a partner involved and still involved. She's my partner now and one of the co-founders of the company, Molly Corson, also my wife. <laughs> so she, you know, we, we kind of got to, took the bull by the horns here and we're just trying to generate as many leads as possible. And we were wholesaling, we were referring notes off, we were, you know, buying what we could, capital partnerships and joint ventures with who we could at the time. But we were seeing that you know, there wasn't a lot. The cost of capital was much different. The sentiment in the market was much different back then. So, you know, wholesaling was started off ferociously doing very well in 2007. And then right around February 2008, we started seeing a tremendous slowdown, which came to a screeching halt in October of 2008. And then from there, honestly, from October 2008 to December of 2009, I didn't have one single yes, not one single yes on any offers that we were making, whether we were trying to buy for our own portfolio or wholesale off. And it was a very, very challenging period, a very challenging time in the industry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had just opened a commercial real estate brokerage, like a boutique investment firm, and our transaction volume dropped by 97%. So yeah, it was definitely a tough time. Yep. And I may add that for the most prettiest performing loan, you know, we weren't seeing offers or making offers higher than 65 cents on the dollar because we were running into huge equity deficits, you know, POs that were coming back way under for many, many months and years. Yeah. All the way up to it didn't really level out for us. And we didn't really see a change in the market until September of 2010 when appraisals started kind of cooperating, we'll say, with the transaction. So that's really where we saw that. And you know, places like Miami, I don't know if you recall, but that time Miami, toxic. Florida was toxic. Nevada, Las Vegas, toxic at those times. Everyone was allergic to these areas. Yeah, the condos there, especially I remember I had a good friend of mine uh, who I did a lot of business with in the mortgage space. He had just gone long and, you know, like an upper floor condo on the beach in Miami and was totally wiped out down there. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Devastating, devastating. Texas was, you know, didn't really see too much swing either way. So that was still kind of safe, but the offers weren't, you know, generating any interest. And then of course, California was a, a bloodbath starting with Stockton all the way down to the Inland Empire, like, you know, San Bernardino, just toxic. And then we started slowly but surely seeing small areas that were not necessarily affected by the real estate downturn and wild price swings starting to come back. Offers were being accepted. Money was flowing. Deals were flowing. And then we came, it was just a roar back 11, 12, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah, right. So talk a little bit about, if you would, what kind of deals you're buying and what 
what's your business model today? Are you just, are you like clipping coupons? You're just buying for income or are you rehabbing these or what, what's that look like? That's a good question. So our strategy, we have multiple buying strategies across the board, depending on the assets that we're reviewing for purchase. Our primary source of primary strategy. So we operate a great deal in the seller finance space. Now we have multiple marketing apparatus where we kind of put a cast a wide net marketing net, which captures not just seller financing leads, but we from time to time get leads from asset managers that will reach out to us specifically, you know, a couple times where they turned out to be very fortunate in our ability to capture those leads. But what we're seeing a lot of are these, you know, poor because credit score sensitivity comes into play a tremendous amount when you're trying to achieve par or close to, which is, you know, as close to the unpaid principal balance as possible, which a lot of these institutions and seller financed lenders are looking to achieve. So we see a lot of poor credit, good seasoning, decent equity loans where we would rehab the borrower to a either you know, collect payments over the life of the loan, compounding interest and so forth and so on. Or we would rehab the bar, we would buy low, rehab the, buy as low as we could, rehab the borrower's credit as much as possible by placing them with a loan servicing outfit that reports to the credit bureau. So assuming that they're making all of their other payments on time, which is kind of a risk, maybe 12, 18, 24 months down the road, we just took a loan that we paid 62 cents on the dollar for And now we can turn around and wholesale it if we want for 92 cents on the dollar, or we can continue collecting, you know, our 11 and a half percent return on investment. So there's different strategies, exit strategies there, because we like to keep our options open because as we learned in 2008, and now with the the oncoming, what I call the, the great depression of the 2020s in route, at least from what we're seeing and based on the research that you provide from your great platform, you know, we need multiple strategies here. We can't just paint ourselves into a corner and go, hope, you know, hope for the best. That's a surefire way to lose money. Yeah, it's hard to have a crystal ball right now with the weirdest economy ever, but it's also hard to see how all of this stimulus, you know, between the PPP and the direct payments and the eviction moratoriums and the foreclosure, you know, more like it's uh, definitely a severely distorted market right now. And when these distortions go away, it's going to be interesting to see what's underneath, you know? I agree 100%. I feel like one of those uh, funhouse, mirror funhouses. <laughs> sure, where, yeah. You know, you're you looking- all nice and skinny and- uh, <laughs> Right. It's <laughs> not, attractive. <laughs> that's right. It's very distorted. That's a, it's a good explanation there. I will say though, if you don't mind me continuing on, I, you know, we, that is our primary source of strategy. That's our primary strategy. But we also- have strategies when it comes to like non-performing, sub-performing, re-performing, which we're not, I'm not, I don't love re-performing notes. I know some people do. I will also do deeds, you know, which come through our seller finance marketing arm. We'll do lease options. Yeah. We actually have a capital partner who's hungry, hungry, hungry for lease option contracts, which is basically the acquisition of the property, not necessarily the note. So there's different strategies that we provide, but not least of all, the non-performing bank paper that we're seeing. And, you know, that's, that's the typical strategy that every, you know, there's a lot of outfits out there that are following that strategy. It's very effective and it's very lucrative if done correctly and modeled correctly. You don't just close your eyes and put your finger on a map and go, here is where we're going to do it. You really have to put the research in. And again, you know, I know this is uh 
this is from personal experience. This is where the platform that you operate is, you know, priceless, uh, you know, the, the information that we get there. Yeah. So one of the things I'm hearing you say, and I'm glad I'm hearing this, you know, a lot of times um, when when I'm talking with folks, they want like a, a secret formula or, a, you know, what, one answer for how to make money with these things. But it's really not that. It's really about being able to source the deals and then figure out ways to make money with those deals, isn't it? That's exactly right. So I'm going to just kind of take a couple of steps back. And this is what, you know, we, we did a lot of speakerships, spoke to, you know, folks who are trying to get into the business, folks who are in the business, folks who are landlords trying to be buyers, folks who are, you know, real estate agents trying to be note brokers. Here's the deal. You may not have capital. You may not have, uh, you know, a rich uncle or, or capital partner that has money to just step in and buy. What do you do? Your seat at the table comes through your ability to generate leads. That is your currency. You are at the front lines and you are in charge of who gets what lead. In essence, you're going for the one that makes you the most money. In some cases, you're also going for the ones that make you the most money in the future, depending on your investment strategy. You may not need that wholesale fee now. You may need you know, incoming payment stream in the future. So there's different ways you can slice this up. And I always say, your currency is the leads. That is the money that you're bringing to the table. It, so you don't necessarily need $100,000 in a self-directed IRA. You may just need a 12,000 marketing budget per year that you can dump in SEO or pay-per-click. Or I know pay-per-click can be a lot more expensive, but SEO, if you have the right tools and the right team, you may be spending twelve dollars to $36,000 a year. And that's really all you need to generate $500,000 in fees. Or if you don't have that, then you're dialing the phone and you're sending emails, right? Exactly. Through a subscription, like a service like yourself. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's a lot like, you know, in commercial real estate, which is where I've got, you know, a lot of friends and colleagues and, you know, where I spent a lot of time. It's very similar in that, you know, you start off as a broker, but after a while you participate and maybe you don't even participate with cash. Maybe you, you throw your commission in and now you've got a little piece of a building over here and, you know, that kind of thing. And so it really does take being a student of it all and being, you know, flexible um, and smart enough to, to evaluate what's, what's kind of coming across your table. And I learned a lot about the underwriting. So as an originator, you know, you want to pump them out, you put them through loan process or a desktop underwriter, or, you know, you try to pump them out as quickly as possible and you move on. You know, I learned a tremendous amount of information and, and strategy through the underwriting process of especially of our institutional buyers, what they accepted, what they didn't accept. In many, many years, you're on the front lines, you start learning how to buy them correctly. That's the difference between being wiped out in a recession or a depression and not. I will say, and I'm not bragging, you know, it's not, there's still plenty of time for this to go wrong. But as of today, of this recording, our entire in-house portfolio, not once, not once have we received a request for a delayed payment or a foreclosure in any of this, because I feel like we bought correctly. And I feel that that's a big part of it. Now, We've had conversations about what would happen. And again, there's plenty of time. You know, these moratoriums start expiring when? In March, I believe. 2021, soon. So there's definitely time and things that, but as of today, we're a year, over a year into this, uh, just about uh, a little under a year into this mess. And we had no issues. And I, I attribute that to paying the right dollar amount 
not jumping on every lead that comes your way and thinking that you're going to be, you know, cause not just because it's good on paper doesn't necessarily mean it's going to play out that way. You need to talk about the human element. You need to talk about the emotional element if you're dealing in seller financing, because in seller financing, what I learned is that that lender is emotionally attached to that asset where, and I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I may have even, I, I'm sure you're familiar with this, the institution or the asset manager or you know the loan officer, whoever you're dealing with at the credit union or the bank that you're buying from, they're not. They're not emotionally attached. They may not even be price attached. I, they're more attached to how long is this going to take this for this to happen? How much work do I have to put into this you know, process, I guess, is really what they're interested in? Yep, exactly. Process, timing, you know, and then probably the number after that. The number after that, for sure. The number does play a role, but you know, you start really seeing the landscape and reading the terrain of the different avenues that one could take to benefit from the back end note business, uh, whether it's institutional or, or seller financed. Uh, and I know we're hyper focused on institutional here, and I we have plenty of experience in that realm as well. But they are two different strategies. Yeah, sure. I like to say that, and I didn't make this up. A good buddy of mine, Mike. Harry, whom I worked with for a long time and I've interviewed on this show, I think first said it to me, but lenders are repeat non-emotional distressed sellers. Like there's, a, you can't find that anywhere else. There's no private seller who's a repeat non-emotional distressed seller. You know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't exist. So that is why I like working with them too. Much more numbers than a process person and, you know, care much less about, you know, people's personal attachment to their assets, you know, or in, and how to navigate that. And there's a lot of emotions. I, you know, I'll say this and I'll kind of end it there. But, you know, when you're dealing in the seller finance space, you are sometimes more than just a lender or an investor buying a note. You could be a family therapist if you're dealing with a, you know, some sort of inheritance dispute between siblings, which is a big reason why these seller finance folks sell notes, or even sometimes, you know, dad bought a note from the bank and, now dad's gone and you know the junior and junior are fighting over it. So there's definitely levels of experience that come along with the strategies that you choose. So, but let me tell you, and to everyone who's listening out there, this is not a, there's work involved in this for sure. There's no get rich quick here. I don't think there's any get rich quick anywhere, right? Unless you're in Bitcoin or GameStop. Right? I was just going <laughs> to say. Timing's perfect. Cryptocurrency or GameStop's another one. Yeah. Well, so tell me a little bit about or tell our audience a little bit about who should contact you. You're running this business over here. What's a good, a lot of folks listen to my shows and they want to reach out to the guest and I want to make sure that, you know, they've got a good understanding of whether or not they should and when they do, uh, you know, what it's about, how you work. Understood. Absolutely. Start by saying we don't do, if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. What we do not do is provide broker education. We get a lot of requests for education. I'm looking to get into the note business. I'm looking, you know, we want to figure out, you know, how to get bank deals and, you know, so forth. Can you show me how to do that? And that's not what we do. What we could do and what we do, a good candidate would be any, I don't care your level of experience with myself and my team will hold your hand through your first transaction as long as you have that currency with you, those leads. And I'm not talking about lead, yeah, lead gen that you pluck off of you know, a website and pass off as your own because that's not going to get anywhere very quickly. We're talking about cultivating and harvesting your own leads, either in the seller finance space or a relationship with a bank manager where you would be at the forefront of that conversation. 
You will be right there with us when we do the negotiation, when we do processes, and you'll see if it is your first transaction, exactly how we do it. So you can take that, scrub it, use it as your own, wash, rinse, repeat, and move on. And then hopefully you'll bring us more deals. You know, we live in reality. So we understand that we may just do a couple deals with you and that may be it, but we are more than willing to work with new folks that, you know, have the leads, you know, that have that lead generation. Yeah. So someone gets a live one, they can contact you and you'll help them make money with that. Exactly. What we'll do, the first thing we'll do is we'll identify what it is, the goal is, you know, of not just the person selling the note or the entity selling the note, what does the broker, we'll call it, or the wholesaler want out of this, you know? So we're really going to touch on that. I know a lot of, of folks that are new to the industry, or maybe not, maybe they're just don't have so many deals under their belt. They're very hesitant to give up that information because they think they're going to be circumvented. And that's a good, you know, a good stance to take. The last thing that we are looking to do is to circumvent anyone because we need that wholesaler. We need that broker front and center because that's, you know, we don't have the bank. We're not a large, you know, institution. We don't have the bandwidth to do that. So we, we actually, it's a symbiotic relationship there. We'll identify the goals We'll get on the phone with the seller. We'll put the broker in the driver's seat if they so desire. If they're not comfortable with that, they'll, we'll put ourselves in the driver's seat with them in the passenger seat, give them all of our secrets to negotiation, everything, because we have nothing to hide in that sense. We're not looking to monetize that. We're looking to buy notes, get compounding interest and arbitrage in some cases, those proceeds and other cases looking to create payment streams or assets that we can sell. And so the way that I assume the way you participate, whatever the strategy is, whatever the return is on that. That is correct. In some cases, we have some very successful situations where you had mentioned, look, you don't take a commission. You know, we call that deferred commission, right? So you defer the commission for a piece of the note down the road, or you defer the commission for a piece of the property sale once we foreclose, which can be 10, 20X what you would get. You know, oh, you're going to get a $10,000 fee, or you can have a $100,000 piece of this asset if and when it sells. 18 months. It depends on the investment appetite and the goal of the the source bringing us the deal. Yeah. Cool. So selfishly, what I'd love to touch on before we wrap up here is I know you've been a customer. I know you've done some lender direct deals. I wonder if you could just sort of talk about what that's looked like for you when you're dealing direct with an institution and sort of maybe if you could just paint picture of what's one of those deals that went down? Yes. There was four that come to mind. You know, we have our list that we cultivated and, you know, we're nurturing that into transactions, ever growing, some subtract, some take away, some add. Two of them that come to mind that were, you know, a culmination of there's no, and I'm sure that you know this, and I'm sure that the training that I've seen on your platform has been mentioned follow-up is required. It is everything when using bank products. It's everything in any kind of marketing. I'll give you an example. In the direct mail lead, right? You know, whether you're selling refrigerators or note buying services, you know, they say that the average person needs to see your mailer, you know, five to eight times before they really start sinking in. Well, guess what? Those numbers apply to asset managers that you're reaching out to at banks and you can't shower these people with gifts, right? That's that's a big no-no. You want to make sure that you're doing this in a way that's professional and that plays by the rules. And what I'm getting at is it took 
many, many polite, persistent follow-up calls, emails, visits to some locations in some cases, finally gained the trust of some of these institutions that provided us one of them, you know, up to seven months of just feeding us deals. These weren't large banks, right? So we're not talking about, we're talking about small banks are the target market here. You do not knock on the door of Bank or Wells Fargo and expect to get a response. Even medium-sized banks, banks of the Bank of the West and you know, even smaller. So we were targeting credit unions. We were targeting small banks, may had one or two here. It's great experience. Get your feet wet, get a feel for the cadence that occurs in this type of process when you're dealing with institutions. It's just a tremendous platform that's been very good to us. This required follow-up, required email, required phone calls. Once we got that and we built that and established that trust, we were fed deals. I mean, some of them were just one-offs, right? So credit union just had one or two. We, I remember taking both of them under a commitment. One of them went through, the other one didn't for you know appraisal reasons. And there was some back and forth that just, it just didn't pan out. There was another institution that had statute of limitation seconds, which were so hard to place, right? I mean, these SOL uh, statute of limitation seconds, we had a, a buyer that was eating those up. We had a, uh, an institution that provided us with statute of limitation loans. It was one of our biggest trades. And it was solely from the hard work that we put into using a tool like Bank Prospector, which is, I don't know of any other out there that comes close to providing the level of information. What we see and what we hear, especially in this industry, is we run into a bunch of people and uh, businesses and institutions, specifically independent folks who say, oh yeah, Bank Prospector heard of it, used it, you know, not really, you know, and didn't really have any luck. And I'm not saying that that's the overall experience. What fails to be realized here is the work that needs to be put into cultivating and harvesting a marketing strategy. The marketing strategy, you can outsource it and to a company and maybe they'll, they'll perform there's nothing like what Bank Prospect Prospector offers on the market. The level of information and intelligence that you can glean from this very reasonable, I think reasonable platform, subscription-based platform, is volumes of what it can be in business, especially if you get just a couple banks that continuously feed you deals that you can service those leads. It could make your half a decade of business for you. You know, not having to, you know, you, cu- you can cut marketing budgets, especially if you want to hyper-focus on that. I know folks that get into this for the specific purpose of buying seconds and rehabbing them, non-performing seconds and rehabbing them. I know folks that are getting into it for the acquisition of just vanilla non-performing firsts that went awry, resi. I personally like the non-accrual. I like the weird ones. I like the construction. I like, we can actually do, we have an investor that will do non-collateralized business debt, which is a big one. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity, especially off the weird ones, you know, construction loans, industrial, gas stations. These are big ones that no one's really paying attention to. Yep. I have a lot of good gas station stories, actually, from <laughs> selling notes and that kind of thing. So, well, geez, man, I really appreciate you coming on here. And if you're listening to this and this sounds like it makes uh, sense to you and, you know, get up there and start finding some deals and then... When you get a hold of one, 
give Abby a call over at AmerinoteExchange.com and he'll walk you through the whole thing. Make sure that you make your money and you're going to learn a lot. And Abby, I really appreciate you coming on here today and talking. I appreciate you being a bank prospector, subscriber. And I know everybody who listens to the show appreciates it when folks come on here and they share the real deal. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate the opportunity and I greatly appreciate the product that you put out there. It is second to none. Thanks, Abby. Amerinote Exchange, check Abby out over there and uh, visit us at distrustpro.com. Hey, this is Breck Palumbo, founder of distrustpro.com. Are you ready to take your real estate or note business to the next level? We'll show you how to start sourcing discounted and distressed off-market deals direct from institutional sellers. Visit gobankdirect.com today and learn how to take control of your deal flow and profit in any market. Go now to gobankdirect.com.